found the book of Psalm, Psalms, the 110th chapter. Psalm 110. I'll say what a privilege it is to be here this morning and have opportunity to stand behind the sacred desk. I've got a place that I love so much. And uh, I want to thank God for His providence, His design in working how He has worked to bring us where we are. And it's a joy to look out in the crowd and see my people and call them my people. And uh, I'm their people. And uh, we, uh, we enjoy one another, whether it be a Sunday service, a Sunday evening service, Wednesday night Bible study, fellowship meal, which we have quite often because we're Baptists, or uh, a shrimp bowl, uh, or in the home with one of them. We, uh, we enjoy one another. We fellowship, and they love the Word of God, and they love the people of God. And I am richly blessed to uh, be their pastor, and uh, God has, has given us a fine place to uh, be a part of. And I want to thank them for coming the distance they drove to be a part of this service and uh, for allowing me to be away uh, from our pulpit to be here. Glad my mama's here. I love my mama, and uh, she has been a faithful supporter of our ministry. It's good to see her here, and um, of course, always Katie. I could not mention Katie. Uh, She's my best friend, and uh, she is uh, the best parts of me are what the Lord and Katie's done to me, and uh, so I'm thankful. I'm just thankful to be here, not only blood family, but uh, spiritual family. Uh, I love you. I hope you know that, uh, that I love you. And um, it's a joy and an honor to preach to you. And I love you, Brother Kevin, Miss Amanda. Thank you for being our friends, faithful to us over these years. And um, thank you for being my pastor. And uh, we, we just overjoyed this morning to be here. Psalm 110 is our text. I'll read the entirety of the psalm and uh, trust that God will illuminate our hearts as we seek to magnify the Lord Jesus. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. I want to preach this morning on a simple thought. Worship the king. Worship the king. Let's pray together. 
Brother Donald, would you pray for me as I try to preach this morning? Amen. Frederick Farrar was a close personal friend of Queen Victoria. After hearing a sermon together on Christ's second coming, the Queen and Farrar were sitting together discussing the message. She said to him, Oh, how I wish he would come during my lifetime. He asked her why, and this was her reply, Because I would love to lay my crown at his feet in reverent adoration. It's my desire as we look into these verses this morning that we would willingly and joyfully remove the crown of our life and lay it at the feet of Him that is worthy. You do know that He is worthy this morning. We consider the word worship, how that that is a worship that has been uh, drugged, as it were, through the mire of the world's understanding. Worship and praise, praise and worship, words that are very foreign to most individuals' lives. It means something akin to entertainment to most individuals or a form of music. But yet worship, it means to bring adoration and reverence to the one who is worthy of it. It comes from an old word, worship. That is, that it is to be contained and prescribed to one and one alone. It is an exclusive transaction that there is only one who can claim to have worship. There are none that can stand beside and take part of worship. He is God and God alone. He is a jealous God. He is a singular God. He is a unique God. He is the Lord. Jesus Christ. He is in control. He is ruler. He is magistrate. He is potentate. He is judge, prophet, priest, and king. Worship the king this morning. James Montgomery Boyce has said that Psalm 110 is the greatest of all the Messianic Psalms. Alfred Edersheim said that it has been designated the crown of the Psalms because of its beauty and its splendor. It is, of course, when you walk into Psalm 110, it is as if you are Joshua standing in front of the unseen captain or Moses before the burning bush. You must remove your shoes from off your feet. You're walking on holy ground. We don't play or jest about these holy thoughts concerning God. It is the most quoted or alluded to passage of the Old Testament in your New Testament. 27 references or allusions to Psalm 110. It was the psalm quoted by the Lord Jesus when he asked the Pharisees, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? It was his confirmation psalm that he was and he is the son of God, that he is the son of David. Greater than David is here, as wonderful and as illustrious as David's reign, as one that has walked upon the shores of Galilee that's greater than him, that'll have an empire not contained to one nation or to people. 
He'll have an empire that will span across the universe, ruling and reigning in righteousness and glory forever and forever. Amen. It was the assertion preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost, pricking the hearts of the self-righteous Jew. It was the quote of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, reminding us of the resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus. It was his subject matter in Philippians chapter 2 concerning the condescension, the humiliation, the crucifixion, the resurrection and the ascension and the coming coronation of the King of glory. It was his theme and his commentary. Hebrews 5 through 10 about the priesthood of Christ, the royal lineage of Christ. It is a doctrinal psalm. It asserts the Trinity. It talks about the true church. It discusses the wrath of God. It is a divine psalm. It reveals the deity, the divinity and the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a dignified psalm. It would have been sung and repeated during the uh, the coronation of monarchs after David's line. But yet David as he wrote, he is the author. He's not referring to himself. It's not to be pointed towards his kingdom or his glory. He's writing as a poet and a prophet looking forward to one who was to come greater than he. It is a delightful song. It brings joy to the heart of the weary Christian who's been overrun and overthrown by a world of sin because we have a God who reigns supreme, who sits upon an everlasting throne, stretches forth a strong and mighty arm and will never fail us. Thank God for Psalm 110. It's a Christological psalm dripping with every word concerning thoughts and ideologies about the Lord Jesus. Whenever we hear talk about Jesus, we ought to prick up the ear. People are concerned in these days about holding the attention of the crowds. They say you can't hold a man for 45 minutes and talk to him about spiritual things. Yet for four hours tonight, somebody will be sitting awestruck and dumbfounded as they look to see who's going to win that pigskin. I'm just here to say when it comes to the great spiritual things concerning the Lord Jesus, if you don't have a hunger, you ought to have a hunger. And that hunger ought to be growing. And that love and adoration ought to be growing and increasing in size and in depth. You may not love Him as much as you want to, but every day's closer with Jesus. Love Him more. Worship Him more. Praise Him more. Spend time with Him more. Study Him more. He's like a diamond. Every facet is new and glorious. We never stop looking at Him. We never get Him off our minds. We never get Him out of our hearts. Worship the King who is worthy this morning. <laughs> According to Wearsby in our psalm, we see Christ in His exaltation. We see Christ in His consecration. And we see Christ in His vindication. We see Him on the throne. We see Him in the holy place. And we see Him on the battlefield. He wears a crown of sovereignty. The garments of priestly intercession. And the accolades of a conquering king. Give you three thoughts about our Lord this morning. And I'll be done. Number one, we should worship the majestic king. Who is glorified. This is a present look at who Jesus is. F.W. Faber has written, Full of glory, full of wonders, majesty divine. 
Mid thine everlasting thunders how thy lightning shine. Shoreless ocean, who shall sound thee? Thine own eternity is round thee. Majesty divine. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. Psalm 97 says it this way. The Lord reigneth. We could stop there and just time out for a moment. Don't we need to be reminded today that Washington does not reign? Jackson does not reign. Moscow, England does not reign. In fact, whatever power may be understood in our social construct, it is a delegated power. It is only a it is only a short time power. It is only to be a power for a certain season, then to be done away with for one power and for one ordinance and for one command and for one lawgiver. There's a day coming when the earthly powers will bow themselves before the eternal power. So may we be reminded the Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. The heavens declare His righteousness and all the people see His glory. Verses 1 through 3 are a cluster. You'll note in your Bible perhaps a distance between these verses and others. But nonetheless they are to be sung as one stands up. They amplify the eternal, indestructible, unquestionable, rightful reign of the Lord Jesus. You'll note an eternal conversation. The Lord said unto my Lord. David has been allowed entry into what is known as an inter-Trinitarian conversation. That is to say he is eavesdropping on eternity. Reminds me much of Isaiah chapter 6 when as Isaiah has been dumbfounded by the vision of the Lord on his throne as he considers the greatness of his glory as he's brought low into the midst of his sin and then cleansed by the angelic host coming before him. It reminds me of when he overheard the Trinity talking. Saying, who shall we sin and who shall go for us? David is not referring to himself. This is a high and eternal heavenly conversation. The Lord, all uppercase, you note. It is mentioned uh, multiple times in our text. That is Yahweh or Jehovah. The self-existent, self-eternal God. Immutable, unexplainable, incomprehensible God. He who is all power and creation and glory within himself. He who has intrinsic sovereignty. He is that God who the Jews with great fear and trembling even thought that holy name. Who the Bible scribes would have used a clean pen, clean garment, clean mind as they wrote it. The second mention of Lord, now lowercase after the uppercase L. It is not Yahweh or Jehovah. It is Adonai. Which means he who is Lord, ruler, master, or commander in chief. This is the Lord, Jesus Christ. Some 1,000 years before his birth. 
You say, how do you know David's going to be in heaven? Because he said, my Lord. (laughs) He didn't say, the Lord said unto a Lord. Or the Lord said unto that Lord. He said, the Lord said unto my Lord. I'm here to tell you this morning, whenever you hear thoughts and preaching concerning the sovereignty of God, it just does something down in the midst of you, rings the bell, down in the harp of your soul to say, yes, that's my Lord. He's not Lord of them over there. He ain't just Savior of this group here. He's my Lord and He's my Savior. I say amen this morning. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand. Lord in the Greek is kurios. It means a teacher in authority over disciples, a master in control over servants, or a commander in leadership of his troops. Jesus is all three. God has made Jesus Lord. You don't get that decision. Make him Lord. Too late. The Lord already has made him Lord. The decision now is whether you believe it and bow to it. Whether it is received or rejected, he's Lord. There is an eternal conversation. There is an exclusive coronation. Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. It was the Lord Jesus who was slain before the foundation of the world to ransom the chosen redeemed of God. It was the Lord Jesus who was the infinite becoming infant in the manger. It was the Lord Jesus who was robed in flesh, dwelt among men. It was the Lord Jesus who carried out the kingdom rule and wisdom of God on this earth. It was the Lord Jesus who bore the scorn of men and the suffering of Calvary. It was the Lord Jesus who conquered the tomb and defeated Satan, death, and hell itself. It was the Lord Jesus who ascended into the heavens. Uh, No wonder he said, a greater than Abraham, a greater than David. I am greater than all. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, with the power and the keys of death and hell itself. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look no further. All world religions, all world leaders, All these powers that are at work even now Demonic, satanic or physical They will bow the knee What's this world coming to? It's coming to that day when every knee shall bow And every tongue shall confess Because it's the Lord Jesus That walked up every mile to Golgotha's rugged way It was the Lord Jesus That secured the love gift of the Father It was the chief shepherd The Lord Jesus Who maintained and committed himself to the flock It was the Lord Jesus who walked into heaven's gate with millions of anthems had you filled up every stadium millions of them with millions of people couldn't have compared to what the angels would have sounded like when he come walking in to the holy place with that wonderful rich blood to lay before the father committing himself as our savior redeemer and king I say hallelujah worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive honor and power and glory. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Better get out of his way. But he's a lamb of God laid down his life that we might be purchased by his blood. Excuse me. He said, sit at my right hand. Those that dwell in the king's court have the unique honor of watching as the king makes his decisions. Those that sit at the right hand join in the decisions. Did you catch that? He's not a subject in the court of heaven. He is the king of heaven. 
You say, what about all the sin and suffering of the world? Don't you worry. He said, sit here till I make all your enemies my footstool. And there's coming a day when the reality of glory will be abundant on this earth. Unquestioned. Paul said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. What was his joy? Many answers, I'm sure. I believe that it was that he could walk into the presence of the Father and say, it is finished. What was the joy of Calvary? Was it that he would redeem to him a people out of every nation, out of every tribe and every tongue? Absolutely, that's a part. But I want to tell you something. The Lord Jesus is utterly concerned and consumed with the glory of the Father. That's what he came here to fulfill. The glory of the Father doing the will of him that had sent him. And before we ever get into thinking about what he did for us, think about the joy of what he did for God. When the wrath of a holy God was poured out and he became the propitiation that is paying for our sin, bearing our sin, but the expiation. These are words we don't hear enough. Propitiation, but the expiation in that he carried our sins far away. We used to sing when I was a little boy, what sins are you talking about? Or maybe something like this. You ask why I'm happy. I'll just tell you why. Because my sins are gone. It's not because I was a good fella. It wasn't because I did certain good deeds. It was because on the cross of Calvary Jesus bore the full extent of God's holy wrath that was declared for me and when he did so he carried my sins as far as the east is from the west down deep in the sea of forgetfulness. You say God forgot about my sin. Oh no he chose to look at your sins no more so that when you stand before him as a redeemed child of God you don't come in as a sinner awaiting your condemnation You come in as a child who has been allowed entrance by the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Worthy is the Lamb. Worship the King. Spurgeon said his work is done. And he may sit. It is well done. And he may sit at his right hand. It will have grand results. And he may therefore quietly wait to see the complete victory. Which is certain to follow. Jesus is crowned with many crowns and diadems. Which says to us that he, is, he has sovereignty upon sovereignty upon sovereignty. That's another word that has become greatly fearful in our day. But the old Christian of yesteryear has said that the sovereignty of God is a soft pillow for a tired heart. I would only pause to say this. Too many of us are living as if we are in control. Will not take you long to understand that you are not. For the circumstances themselves will prove to you. You have never had one ounce of control. If we are in control, it is out of control. But thank God our God does not sit upon the throne. As Brother Larry Winkler said, taking Addison's about to go to pieces. He don't have a prescription drawer for his Tylenol and Xanax and anti-anxiety medications. He don't have to have an angel come by and say, Now Lord, pat your knee, say it's going to be okay. The Lord Jesus Christ, John saw in Revelation, is the Lord Jesus we need to see in our day. Not some weak, assistified Jesus who needs us, who is willing to our every whim. He is our, he is our king. Thank God he gives to us. 
us all that we need. But he ain't my bellboy. He ain't my servant. He don't meet my needs because I said that I need him. He does what is according to his will to glorify his Father in heaven. But the God that sits on the throne, the Lord Jesus, that is ruling and reigning right now, not tomorrow, not next year, that is even now reigning on the throne, white hair speaking of purity, eyes of fire speaking of holiness. He has got a scepter, a rod, strengthened and exercised over all. You say, I don't see his kingdom. Well, it's a work and whether you see it or not, and the day is coming when it will be consummated. Take cheer. Our God is on the throne. There is an eager congregation. The Lord said to the rod of thy strength out of Zion. This is not only the scepter spoken of in Genesis 49 that the scepter should not depart until shallow come. But this is also a picture of the shepherd's rod. He's not only a king and commander over all the world. He is a loving shepherd to his flock. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The same rod that destroys the enemy. It's the same rod that draws us lovingly near to our wounded Savior's side. (laughs) Same rod scatters the wolf. It's the same rod that comforts the sheep. Hallelujah. (laughs) There is an eagerness about his people. He is not a God in exile, a king in exile. Over time in history, human history, kings have been exiled away from their kingdom so that they might make decisions and rule from a distant land. Oh no, he rules right in the middle of them. Read the book of Habakkuk sometimes. Habakkuk, his name means to wrestle. He wrestled with the thoughts of sin and suffering and injustice in this world. J.C. Ryle said it best when we come to understand that our God uses even the wicked like hammers and tools in his hand. Do you know this about the devil? He's God's devil. That does not mean we have the right or authority on our own to attack or to go on the offense. Even Michael the archangel said, the Lord rebuked thee. But thank God he did say, the Lord rebuked thee. I'm here to tell you this morning, there is not one ounce of anything that has happened or will happen that is not completely under control. If you believe it, say amen. If you don't believe it, say oh me. But it'll do you better. It's true whether you believe it or not. Songwriter said, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. I have to read this. Indulge me a moment. But I can't come to a passage such as this without reading this quote. My king was born king. The Bible says he is the seven-way king. He is the king of the Jews, a racial king. He's the king of Israel, a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest idea in philosophy. He's the fundamental truth of theology. 
He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king. His life is matchless. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. He's, uh, he is incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you the heavens cannot contain him, let, a man, let alone a man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. He always has been. He always will be. I'm talking about he who had no predecessor and he who has no successor. There was nobody before him. There'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him and he ain't going to resign. Praise the Lord. That's my king. Thank God for Brother Lockridge. And all inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or saying to him what doest thou worship the king I'll hasten but number two yeah just number two we're going to pull overtime alright some of y'all be praying for it this evening well worship not only the majestic king who is glorified worship the mediating king who is signified verse four of our text we have a unwavering promise. The Lord has sworn. Again, the Lord, all uppercase Jehovah, has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It has been the call of many a dying person on their sick bed. Please bring the priest. Reminds me of a time in which old Saint Uncle Bud Robinson was lying on his sick bed, and the Holy Father was coming around to take confession. Laid over him, and he said, Do you have anything to confess, Mr. Robinson? Robinson sat up and said, I do have something to confess. I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Hallelujah! Said, run him out of the room. <laughs> Our weak and feeble souls don't need a human priest. We don't need some sinful man with an unworthy position. But we do need the intercession of the great high priest. And thank God what we need, we have in Jesus Christ, the high priest of God's covenant. The priesthood was uh, the, the tribe of Levi, known as the Kohen, chosen men, holy order of a nation. Jesus did not come from the tribe of Levi. He came from the tribe of Judah. So how would God reconcile these two? Well, so there's not only an unwavering promise, there's an unusual person. How could God make our king a priest if he is not of the priestly line? He introduces to us in Genesis 14 a man by the name of King Melchizedek, the priest king of Salem. His name, his name means king of righteousness. Salem means king of peace. He's the king or the prince of peace. He's a priest of the most high God. No earthly lineage, no beginning, no father, no mother. He's an everlasting priest. I don't know about you. Correct me if you feel I'm wrong. I believe this is Jesus. Nobody corrected me, so hallelujah there. What we see in that God is reconciling this truth. We must have a great high priest. No sin can be remitted without the shedding of blood whereby the great high priest would have to go and lay the atonement for the people. And only that for once a year. Continual. Sacrifice, forgiveness, atonement. Many lambs were slaughtered. Many goats, many doves, many bullocks. 
But then here comes Paul writing in Hebrews, not by the blood of goats and of bullocks. There is a high priest who need not be concerned of his own sin, need not fear. For when our high priest carried the blood of the Lamb, it was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Talk about pure, talk about holy, talk about without blemish. He carried the blood of his own sacrifice, not into the holy place of the tabernacle, for the the, the, uh, the veil had been rent. But he walks into the very presence of God and presents his sacrifice, not for one year, one day at a time, but forever and forever everlasting. That priest has gone and done once and for all what was necessary for all souls. And not only that, he is a priest who is available. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. We've got no friend like the lovely Jesus. Do you have a need? Carry it to him. Do you have a fear? Take it to the throne room. No need to worry. No need of a referral. You can go in even now and communicate by the priest. Give me my last thought and I'm done. Someone has said people love Jesus, but they don't love Jesus on the throne. It's easy to speak about Jesus in the sense of love, and he is. Sense of mercy and acceptance. But we do not have a complete picture until we see not only the Christ who loves and saves, but until we see the reigning and ruling Christ. We see Christ in his present place as king, as priest. But can I give you Christ in his prophesied place? Not only worship a majestic king and a mediating king. Thirdly, worship a militant king. Who is justified? A.W. Tozer said that what we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we think about Jesus is also of great importance. Wrong concepts can be fatal. When Abraham Lincoln was shot in Ford's theater, it was the belief of his doctors that bloodletting would be the answer. And so a man who had already lost a massive amount of blood was opened up and let bleed more to the point that it killed him. We're brought back to that time of the Pharisees when Jesus posed the question, what think you of Christ? Could leave you here and ask you the question, what think you of Christ? The answer to that question in your heart will determine your heavenly direction, your eternal destination. What think ye of Christ? Our thoughts and ideas about Him are far too unworthy. We are told, we know, we've heard that he is Lord, but we treat him as secondary. We'll bow to fear men. We judge our lives by the opinions of others. And we serve our own sinful flesh. We consider him no more than a past figure of history. He is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And Jesus never comes next, Habner said. You will either lay yourself before the rock of ages... You'll be broken by him on the day of his wrath. He is no vicious tyrant who unjustly condemns sinners. His righteousness and wrath have been revealed in the heavens and man is without excuse. He has given his son as propitiation for our sin and as a means of escape from judgment. And those who would reject such a gift will not be spared. 
to suffer the fullest extent of his condemnation. We all know that the first great awakening was a phenomenal time of spiritual revival. But did you know that one of the seminal sermons preached was not a sermon of love necessarily or a sermon of great emotion and joy. It was preached by a man by candlelight in a manuscript of a very calm and monotone voice, they say. Wasn't even supposed to preach that night. But in 1741 in Enfield, Connecticut, Jonathan Edwards was asked to speak in the place of a missing preacher. And in this sermon, he says, There is nothing that keeps wicked men at any moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. The wrath of God burns against them. Their damnation does not slumber. The pit is prepared. The fire is made ready. The furnace is now hot, ready to receive them. The flames do now rage and glow. The glittering sword is wet and held over them, and the pit hath opened its mouth under them. Is this some vindictive, vicious God? No, this is a rightfully angry God. The holy wrath of God is not God blowing his top. In fact, there has been a swelling tide in the dam of mercy against the sinner. But the dam will break. It must break. Pink says God's wrath is God's holiness kindled against sin. There's coming a day when the Savior who would be your intercessor, your defense attorney, if you will, will remove the wig of the barrister, put on the black cap of the executioner. And he'll say, Amen, guilty. This is a prophecy concerning the second coming of Christ. Here's what John said. I saw and heaven opened. Behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fiercest of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. I'm sure Brother Kevin has told this. I know I've heard him tell it. One night, D.L. Moody was preaching in a Chicago meeting. And his text was, What shall you then do with Jesus, which is called Christ? He told his audience that night that he would suspend the invitation. And he would give the people a week to consider what they'd heard and what to do with Jesus. As the crowd dispersed, even as they began to leave, the smoke could already be seen on the horizon of what would be known as the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. Multitudes would die that night. And the hall where Moody preached was even destroyed. 22 years later, Moody preached in Chicago again and noted that not one person he had seen those years before was there that night. He said with tears in his sermon that he would never again turn his audience away without opportunity to come to Christ. I'm thankful for the event that this day marks. It will forever be in my heart. A joyful and delightful memory. But this day is not about me or our church. Today I make a gospel plea. For those of us here that love this king, 
there is a no greater desire in our heart than to see the one rebel come to know him in the fullness of his glory. We would not have one here condemned in the day of his wrath, but all together with us in victory and glory. If you are yet in your sins, be saved. Be saved. Know him as a merciful king and not a ruling king that will destroy. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn for your sin. Flee to Christ. Flee to Christ, I promise you. He will in no wise cast out. If you you do not believe, you are condemned already, Jesus has said. But if you will believe, there is love, mercy, and grace enough and to spare to forgive every sin and to make you a child of God. Can't close without reading from Robert Grant who said, I worship the King, all glorious above, gratefully sing His power and His love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. Oh, tell of His might, oh, sing of His grace, whose robe is the light, whose canopy space, whose chariots of wrath the deep thunder clouds form, and dark is His path on the wings of the storm. Frail children of dust and feeble is frail, in thee do we trust, nor find thee to fail. Thy mercies how tender, how firm to the end, our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. Pastor.